Let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we lift up to you your word given to us that we might know you more, appreciate you more, understand the walk you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross, his resurrection for our hope. Lord, all by your grace, all through your mercy, we praise you for your love, undeserved but given. And praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. In 2011, a tsunami, a giant wave, came from the ocean following an earthquake in Japan. And, and that tsunami struck the shore of Japan, devastating it. I sat down and I was watching videos of this event, and it was fascinating to see the reaction and, and what was going on there were sirens blaring. I was watching this video. There were sirens blaring. And there were words of warning coming out over loudspeakers. They were telling them to evacuate. They, they were telling them there's this overwhelming and unstoppable force that was on its way. You've got to evacuate immediately. You've got to get out of here. It was really shocking to see the response. This person holding this camera or, or their phone or whatever it was kept taking video, looking out the window, look, looking out and just kept videotaping. And as he continues to take video, he, he sees it coming. And then all of a sudden, it's right there and... He says, the uh, translation says, this is hell. This is hell on earth. And, and after saying that for some time, he says, what should I do? What should you do? You should have listened to the sirens and the warnings a long time ago. There was another video I watched, and there was this canal, Right? And this guy's taking this video, and there's people just casually, these college students were walking down the street going, oh, look at that. And they, the guy taking the video said, the water is ebbing. The water is flowing the wrong way. There's, there's your first clue. But it, it, it's, this says something about our human nature, doesn't it? And the water ebbs and ebbs and ebbs, and then, then, the channel starts to flood. The water level starts to rise. And the police are there trying to tell the people, get out, go, leave. But they still continue to kind of walk about and, and until suddenly, irreversibly, the waves overcame them, destroying property. You see boats turning over and crashing into one another. Ending lives. You just got to wonder how many lives could have been saved, could have been spared if people had only taken the warning seriously. 
if they had just listened to the sirens and heeded the words from the loudspeakers and the police officers that were there. Psalm 1 grounded us in God's Word, reminded us that we need to delight in His law day and night. And Psalm 2 is a warning to mankind. It is a warning to be grounded in the Son. This psalm is here. Go ahead and flip to Psalm 2. This psalm is here to make us think about a few things, to make us think about who we are, to make us think about who God is, and to make us think about His sovereign plan for His creation. His plan of, of two things, both judgment and of mercy in His Son, Jesus Christ. If you haven't flipped open to Psalm 2 yet, go ahead and do that. I'll start reading at verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Who are we? What is mankind like? We discussed it when we talked about Psalm 1. Our greatest problem is sin, yes. As a whole, as a whole people on this earth, we are rebels. We are rebels. A good definition of sin is missing the mark, as if you're, you're taking a bow and arrow and you're shooting at a target and, and here's the center and you got it over here. We just miss the mark. We don't hit that mark of perfection that God is. But it's, it's a little bit more than that, isn't it? We are rebels. The kings of the earth set themselves the rulers take counsel together. They, they just discuss, how can we get rid of God? How can we burst His cords? How can we get this law of His away from us? 
We don't just miss the mark. We see the target right there that God has set up, and we turn the other way, and we just shoot our arrow blindly in the opposite direction. We, we don't incidentally sin. We don't just slip and, oh, sorry about that one. Oh, stepped in that one. I'm so sorry. Didn't mean to. No, no, no. We look God's law full in the face, and we willingly, desirously, eagerly say that I, I would rather live life on my own than live life under God. From back in the garden... At the fall, man wanted to be wise in his own sight. This fruit will help you to know. It will give you the knowledge of good and evil. And even Adam took of that fruit because they wanted to know apart from God, in their own wisdom, in their own sight, they wanted to live in knowledge apart from God. They wanted to be able to interpret reality from their own point of view from their own knowledge, even as, as partial and limited as our knowledge is. Verse 2 again, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. It doesn't take much observation. It doesn't take much time to see the truth of these verses in our society today. The nation in which we live was founded on biblical principles and precepts. This nation which once printed, in God we trust, on our currency, is now a nation of people who openly and unabashedly attempt to have that very phrase removed from the currency in court. The ACLU takes counsel and sets themselves to the task of removing Christian symbols, crosses, nativities, uh, uh, the Ten Commandments from any government facilities, any government courts, any government property. In 1989, there was a nativity in downtown Pittsburgh. And in the case of the county of Allegheny versus the ACLU, Greater Pittsburgh Chapter, the nativity was found to be unconstitutional. Although the adjacent menorah was not. See, religion is fine. Islam, Hinduism, atheism, namurism... Religion's good. That's fine, according to the world. It's the Son. It's the Anointed One. It's the Christ. It's Jesus who is despised by mankind. As a people, we set ourselves against His Anointed We take counsel and we discuss how can we burst his bonds? How can we cast away his cords that we might get rid of Jesus? We want that smorgasbord religion. We want that uh, salad bar kind of a thing where we can we can keep some of the love. We can keep the peace. Yeah, let's put that on our plate. But this Jesus guy, ooh, that's more like turnips. I don't want any of that. We are rebels. 
even though it is completely and utterly irrational. It is completely and utterly irrational. Our psalmist acknowledges the futility of our rebellion in verse 1. He says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Their plots, their, their attempts to cast God off, it's like smoke. It's, it's going to disappear. It's nothing. It's vanity. Why do we continue to stand against God? Don't you know who He is? Verse 4, our psalmist tells us, God is He who sits in the heavens. He who sits in the heavens. The earth is God's footstool. Isaiah 66.1 says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He is the Lord. He is the anointed one. In, in Hebrew, it's the Messiah. In Greek, it's the Christ. He is the Son. He for whom and by whom all things were made that have been made. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In the very hand of Christ is our very existence. He could just let it all go, couldn't he? This is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, according to Romans 4.17. This is the God who breathed life into mankind in the first place. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, nostrils the breath of life. And then the man became a living creature. He is the almighty God of Exodus. And, and the best description I know of God in his almightiness is Mount Sinai. When Israel is there camped at the base of the mountain and, and lightning lights up the sky and his voice sounds in the thunder and there was this trumpet sound that just crescendoed and a cloud of smoke settled upon the mountain as God himself descended upon it in fire. And all this chaos was held in perfect control so that no one was hurt so long as they listened to him and stayed off the mountain. All of that descending right there in front of them under God's perfect control. And the evidence of him is all around us, isn't it? Romans one twenty. For his invisible attributes, namely 
His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they, mankind, are without excuse. If we look at the physical evidence of the design and creation, the intricacies of a leaf, one single leaf on a tree that, that turns sunlight into food through this process called photosynthesis, that in and of itself is amazing. The function of the human body with all of its systems intertwined, there's the cardiovascular system, there's the nervous system, the digestive system, the immune system, the muscular system, the renal system, the skeletal system, the respiratory system, the endocrine system, and more. But I didn't write down. And if one of these systems is not operational, you die. My dad had pituitary cancer. And the pituitary gland is this little gland that sits right dead center in the middle of your head underneath your brain. And that little tiny gland, it tells your body all the hormones it needs and it distributes them. It makes sure you got it where you need it. That's the endocrine system. They had to remove 95% of that thing from his head. After that day of surgery, he has to take pills to get his hormones. If he did not, if he didn't have that one little gland in his head, right? If he, if he didn't take those pills because that's missing, he'd be dead. That's how fearfully and wonderfully we have been created. There must have been a designer, an author, a creator someone who initiated this whole cosmos, this earth that we live on. If we want to start getting philosophical, we can talk about the cosmological argument that states that no finite thing is self-creating. Every tree comes from the seed of a tree, right? Well, the tree before this tree came from a seed, and the tree before that tree came from a seed. Well, where did the first tree come from? It is not self-creating. It cannot be. All things are finite. There cannot be an infinite regression of causation. There must be, therefore, an infinite and eternal initiator of everything that is finite. There must be an uncaused cause of everything that is. Let's call him God. As we examine the evidence, the physical evidence of design, and we consider who the Lord is, who the anointed one is, how big, how magnificent, how powerful, as we consider his position, that the earth is merely a footstool, at his feet, and he holds us in his hand. Do, do you begin to understand the irrationality of man's rebellion against God? It makes no sense. 
He is a tsunami. Not to be stopped. Only to be heeded. Only to be listened to. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Mankind is attempting the impossible and God knows it. We cannot overcome God. We cannot stop Him or cast off His cords or burst His bonds. Our rebellion is laughable before Him. He holds those who try to set themselves against Him, who sin against Him with a high hand. He holds them in derision. This psalm can start to sound pretty dark at this point. The people rebel against God. They just want to get rid of him. They were going to cast him off. And then God laughs at them. He holds them in derision as if he spites us and, and mocks us out of hatred and contempt. Think of it like this. God's laughter. Think of it like this. It's, it's, like a toddler, you let them go for a minute and they go into the kitchen. And they see the cookie jar up on the top shelf and what do they do? They start dragging over a chair and they're going to get that cookie jar, right? And you as the parent, you're standing in the living room and you see what's going on. And you know you told them no cookies before dinner. And you see them attempting to get the cookies and you stand there and you kind of chuckle to yourself because you're not going to let them have the cookie. Even if they get close, even if they get that jar in their hand, you're just going to step in, right? And say, no, you aren't going to have this. And, and you put it up and you punish them, right? So you kind of laugh to yourself a little bit. Like, what do you think? You're going to get away with something here? No. You see it, you watch it, and you think, even if you get close, I can step in. I can take that away. I can move it anyways. I want us to observe a couple things in verses 5 and 6 in these words. Verse 5, Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God is not impersonal. God is not impassionate. He is not a computerized dictator. He is not a deist. He didn't wind up the world like some kind of toy he created and then throw it out into the universe and then stand back, walk away, just to observe what happens and then laugh at us when we fall. The Lord actually has a vested interest in His creation. He has a concern for the earth that he created. He has a holy hill on this earth. He has a king that he is going to set upon that holy hill. He sees value in the people whom he created in his image. 
And our rebellion against him elicits an emotive response from God. It makes him angry. It stirs up his wrath because he cares for us, because he loves us, and because he hates sin in us. So what does he do? He does not obliterate us like we deserve. He speaks to us. In his wrath, in his fury, he wants to strike us with words that will knock some sense into us, and so he wants to terrify us in his fury. He wants us to understand the facts. He wants them to strike us deeply inside. And so in his anger and in his wrath, he tells us of his twofold plan, one of both judgment and mercy, one of righteousness and grace. Verse 6 tells us he has a king that he will set upon Zion, his holy hill. God is going to establish a theocracy. God will rule his creation. His anointed one is the king whom he will set upon Zion. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and King. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We read a little bit of that last week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Son of God. The Word of God is not made because everything that was made was made through Him. It says, today I have begotten you. God the Father has anointed the Son. Yes, the Christ was born in a body, and at that point He was begotten. But He was not made. He was not created. He was preeminent. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. What does it say? He is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that word firstborn means he is preeminent. He is like the firstborn in a family to whom everything belongs. Verse 8 in our psalm says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Everything belongs to him. The Father has given everything to him. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says, all authority... Oh, there was first Colossians 1.15. Now, there's Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Jesus speaking to his disciples. He has all the authority in heaven and on earth. It's Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 9. 
It says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The theocracy is in place and it will be established upon the earth. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation 19.16. Did I put that one in here? No, I didn't. Look it up later. With his rule, that was Revelation 19.16, by the way. With his rule will come judgment. Verse 9 of our psalm. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Did you notice what it said there? Judgment will come. It says, you shall break them. It doesn't say may or could or might. When God establishes theocracy and Jesus Christ is seated, judgment will come. Sin will be judged because God's holiness and righteousness demands it to be so. He calls us to be holy as he is holy. Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13 says, Behold, I am coming soon. This is Jesus speaking bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We need to make sure that we don't lose sight of the judgment that is on its way. But in view of the righteous judgment of God, let us not lose sight of the loving mercy and grace of God either. Knowing of the judgment that he will be justly placing upon our rebellion, God also mercifully offers a refuge. He says to be wise and be warned in verse 10 of our psalm. Now therefore... O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Be wise. Be warned. Evacuate. Listen to the sirens. Listen to the words of warning. And who does he say it to? Does he say it to those who have been a little bit better than others? Those who have done pretty good? The good people, right? He says... Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. These are the same people that in verse 2 and 3, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointing, anointed one, trying to burst their bonds. The kings and the rulers... 
those who are in open rebellion against God, those who sin against him with a high hand, preferring their own way. Be wise and be warned. Look at what you are doing. Recognize your sin. Be wise about it and be warned about it. He doesn't just offer this refuge to those who are pretty good. He offers this refuge to all those who are in rebellion against him at this moment. It does not matter how foul, how filthy, how wretched your sins are. God offers a refuge to you. And we look around this earth and we can, I'm sure, as people say, oh, that one, those people don't deserve the mercy of God. God says, I offer them my mercy. God is giving us an opportunity to turn from our ways, to repent and turn to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross in our place because he is not without mercy. He is not without grace. And you are significant to him. He calls us to submit to the Son as the source of refuge. Verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. We are called to serve Him and to rejoice in Him with fear and trembling, to serve Him knowing and appreciating who He is, to serve Him and honor Him for His infinite power and uh, His infinite power under perfect self-control, just like we talked about in Mount Zion, Mount Sinai. To love Him, fearing Him, knowing that He holds our breath in His hands. to serve him, appreciating who he is, to kiss him. What does it mean to kiss someone? When you kiss someone, you are probably fairly close to them. Do you just kiss random people on the street? I don't. But the word here calls us to kiss the son, to show him fidelity, to show him your attachment to him, your your faithfulness to him, to show him loving devotion and submission to his authority. It's like kissing the ring of a king. You ever see the Godfather? No? Maybe. They kiss the ring of the Godfather saying, okay, I'll, I'll do whatever you ask, right? They submit to his authority. Because those who take refuge in the Son, those who turn from their rebellion and look to the Son will be blessed with eternal life. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, 
but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God does not desire for us to fall under judgment. Instead, he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Oops. That's in 1 Timothy 2.4. Sorry, I thought I had a slide up there. He desires all people to come to a knowledge of the truth, but there is only one refuge offered. There is only one way. There is only one rock that is higher than I. Only one place to run to and be made clean of my rebellion against God. And that's Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God. That is the loving, loving, merciful offering of a refuge that God gives to us, knowing that the judgment is going to come. So how does this psalm apply to our lives? Be warned and be wise. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, accept the salvation that he offers us on the cross, the hope that he offers you in his resurrection. If you are a Christian, and I have a feeling most people, if not everyone here, because you're here at an evening service, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be comforted. You have a refuge. If you are a Christian, if you have given him your life, recognizing his position and his authority, you've accepted him as the Lord and Savior of your life, be comforted. There's nothing that can remove you from his love. There's nothing that can take you out of his hand. Now, if you're a Christian, there's a people out there that isn't here in the evening service. And there's a tsunami on its way carrying judgment with it. You know about it. I know about it. We know it's coming. Will this church family choose to be that siren that blares out a warning? Will the body of Alden Union offer words of warning to a people just waiting for judgment? And if their lives are important to God, how important are they to us as God's people, as God's ambassadors? Speak to them. Pray for them. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. For you have given us comfort, great comfort, that whatever judgment comes, whatever chaos is on its way in the tribulation, you have mercifully, graciously, and lovingly given us a refuge in your Son, Jesus Christ. And you will remove us from that. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength 
Give us words that we don't even know we have. Give us a, a desire in our hearts, in our, in our heads, just to reach out to that person that we haven't reached out to yet. Help us, Lord. Make us into Your ambassadors. Make us to do things we didn't think we could do. We praise You for Your Word. We praise You tonight in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.